Welcome. Welcome to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining me today. We are concluding our study of Psalm 1, the initial study for this home uh, Bible study podcast. It is actually being done in my home. Uh, I'm very familiar with uh, home Bible study, and uh, so I'm just really thankful and appreciative that the Lord has given me this uh, opportunity, and I'm thankful that you have joined us. So uh, if you're here for the first time, welcome. For those who are returning, thank you, and um, welcome back. So without further ado, let's get into the study of the psalm. So we've seen uh, a lot of things here in this Psalm 1, um, starting from, let's, so we'll do a little review just to get everybody caught up in case you are brand new or you're just joining us at this point. So starting in verse 1, we saw the statement that uh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So, first of all, we see the the man in what that wants to be blessed, the man or woman, the child of God, that wants to be blessed, what it is that they don't do. We saw that in the negative. And then in verse 2, we saw the positive side of that, well, what it is that they do. And in verse 3, we saw the analogy of the tree and the bringing forth of fruit. And now we come to verse 4 which paints a, a different picture. So I want to start by saying something about the statement, the last statement in verse 3 that says, Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We didn't spend a lot of time on that last time, and I just want to clarify because I think it's important in the climate that we live in today. You know, many like to proclaim this um teaching of prosperity you know it's you know god wants you to prosper and he wants you to have everything you ever wanted and you only need to follow these steps and you can have everything you've ever wanted now it's very appealing you know that's a very and it's very sly and clever but it's just not true uh that is not an accurate uh portrayal of what it is that God has said and how he has represented himself in his word. And basically it's just making God into like a slot machine, you know? Um, He wants to pour out his riches and good health on everyone in the entire world. He only asks you to do these things. Uh, These uh, types of uh, preachers are tickling the ears of other people and they're just lying. It's a it's a lie. So let's the, the the let's let's look at the word of God for for what it says about itself, right? And not what we bring to it. That's a that's a very basic um, tenet of studying the Bible. It's called exegesis, where you take what's there and bring it out instead of bringing something with you and taking it in to to try to confirm whatever you wanted to say. So uh, we're going to use proper exegesis. So the fact remains that uh, most of the prophets of God that he sent 
if you study the Bible, you'll see that they were martyred. You know, the apostles, most of them were martyred. Uh, so it's not all roses. That's not what it's about. It's about being obedient to God and faithful to him and serving him. That is uh, what the Lord wants from us. And yes, there are great blessings associated with that. And that's what this psalm is basically telling us that, hey, this is what God desires of you. And this is what God considers to be a blessed life. So just to give you an example of um, from what something Jesus said in Matthew 23, 34 and 35. Let's read that. So here in Matthew, we see Jesus talking to the false teachers. And in Matthew 23, starting in verse 34, this is the King James Version. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, uh, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berchias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all, all these things shall come upon this generation. So we can see right here that uh, these were uh, these are people that God sent to minister to the people, to the nation. And, you know, their life was not all cherries and lollipops um, because uh, that's not what God asked of us. He, he does not call us out to uh, have heaven on earth. He called us out to proclaim the salvation that he has delivered unto us, unto mankind, the salvation that delivers us from this life on earth and all the trappings of this life. So obviously this prosperity that is being spoken of is uh, prosperity in doing the will of God, because in this work, you honor the Lord Jesus and he will bless that. And so I just want to clarify that because that's what this psalm is about. It's about blessing and how to be blessed, how to enjoy the the, the joy that comes from uh, living a life that is um, in line with what pleases God. So again, uh, verse one, we saw the challenge of being godly in an ungodly world. You know, verse two, the answer to that challenge. We have to delight in the word of God. In verse three, we saw the benefits or the results of obedience. Uh, even the fruit of the spirit. Now we're in verse four and I'm going to read verse four. It says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. So it starts off with the ungodly are not so. So immediately we have another contrast. We're contrasting the benefits or the results of obedience that we saw in verse three. Now we're going to see in verse four, the contrast to that. And that's what this psalm is doing. It's using contrast and the negative to reinforce the uh, true uh, will and uh, revelation of God to really make us to see from the negative standpoint, the, the great benefit or blessing of the positive. 
So it says the ungodly are not so. So we know we're talking about the ungodly. We, we, they were mentioned uh, in verse 1 where it says well, you don't stand in the council of the ungodly. And we addressed who those people are. They're the ones that leave God out of their life. Um, they're not going to receive these uh, benefits or blessings that are in verse 3. So that's who they are, right? And it says they're not so. Well, what are they not? Well, they don't care for the word of God. That's uh, something that is characterized by their life. Uh, if you desire the word of God, you can be sure that it's because God has given you that desire, right? How do I know this? Well, 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So uh, the ungodly also don't bear the fruit of the spirit. You know, they can't. Uh, but instead, they produce the works of the flesh. So what are the works of the flesh? So here again, look at this contrast. From verse 3, we talked about in the last lesson, we talked about all those fruit of the spirit, you know, love, patience, long-suffering, uh, all the those benefits so now we're going to contrast the ungodly and what they manifest because you're going to manifest something there's no neutral people in this um situation you can't be on the fence you're either godly or ungodly you're either saved or unsaved you're either walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit there's no gray area it's very black and white so if you feel like that you're in a gray area, then that's a problem. You know, we need to address that and find out exactly where you are and where you need to be. And that's what this, uh, that's what the word of God does. It helps us to understand what God's will is and gives us the guidance so that we can be sure that we are doing what it is that pleases him. So, uh, the ungodly are not so. So they manifest things just like the um, the people who are walking in the spirit and and uh, in the word and doing all those things that verse three says and being that tree, you know, firmly planted and um, they you're going to manifest this fruit. And so the ungodly manifest things as well. So but what they manifest comes from the flesh. So. To understand that, we need to look to the word and a list of some of those things that they manifest uh, are found in Galatians 5. So we're going to uh, turn to Galatians 5.19 and let's take a look together at what these fleshly manifestations are. So here we are, Galatians 5.19. Um, we're going to uh, 519 through 21. I'm going to read it just to, you know, and j just listen to hear what, you know, it's pretty clear. Um, it says now the works of the flesh are manifest, meaning that they're clearly seen. Right. This is something that is obvious to everyone that these are the works of the flesh and they are manifested. They are seen uh, clearly by anyone who is paying attention. It says, which are these adultery? 
fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Now, I had to look up lasciviousness. You know, I had an idea of what I thought it was, but I want to make sure because, you know, this is not a word that is used commonly amongst the people that I talk to or <laughs> I think even in this time that we live. So lasciviousness has to do with a kind of an indiscriminate lust, right? It's, you know, what, what, what we call in our day and age now living an open lifestyle. So, you know, we have all these nice names for the things that are listed here, but they're not nice things. And that just goes to show where we are in the world today and how that we, um, how far away we are from the truth. So uh, next it says idolatry. So uh, idolatry is basically putting anything before God. It, it could be anything that you prioritize before God and the ungodly put everything before God. And you take your choice. I mean, there's plenty of things this world has to offer to distract you from the word of God, from worshiping God. That's the whole purpose of this world system. But this is a manifestation of the flesh. The next one I found interesting, witchcraft, because we have a big uh, kind of resurgence, you might say, of the popularity of witchcraft. A lot of people are going around and they're openly saying, hey, I'm a witch. So this is um, the work of the flesh. Uh, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Uh, verse 21, envyings. You know, to envy. Envying is pretty common now. Murders. Just pick up your newspaper or, you know, go to the any news website and you'll hear all about murders drunkenness this is very common um just the casual way that now we approach uh, consuming alcohol i mean i remember when it was you know there's like a um you know a negative connotation to getting drunk uh, now it's considered to be, you know, it's your party. You're having a good time. If you get, if you don't get drunk, then you didn't have fun. Uh, it's sad. And it's um, detrimental. Uh, a lot of times uh, alcoholism leads to other things. Uh, getting drunk leads to, is a gateway to other types of drugs. Uh, there's a very popular comedian that I've listened to. And, you know, this guy is hilarious. And he talked about how that he would drink and he would have blackouts. And I didn't know what a blackout was, but apparently it's pretty bad. Bad enough to make him stop drinking because um, it just got perpetually worse, apparently. He didn't have to drink very much and his body would just say, hey, it's time for a blackout. And so he quit that and I read, um, unfortunately, that He's in a clinic now because he started using other drugs, I'm sure, to compensate for not having the alcohol. And it's just sad to see, you know, you get to know this guy from his comedy. Uh, he got married. He found a, a wife and they seemed very happy together. And he seems generally like a pretty nice guy. But this 
drunkenness has ruined his life. And we hope that, um, you know, he recovers, but, you know, we sober him up. He comes out of that. And if he's not saved, he's just going to go to hell sober. But uh, that does not mean that I don't want him to be sober because I see the effect of alcohol and drugs on the lives of people. And it's very, it's sad, but it's a manifestation of the flesh. It's just the reality. The next one is revelings. Reveling is basically party. You know, that's what it is. Going out and just having a good time. But revelings can also be seen in uh, what we saw the people that uh, did the attack on the White House. That was definitely an attack. Um, that's a reveling. That's reveling. When you get a bunch of people together and say, hey, we're going to do this. Uh, you call it a protest if you want. You know, there's a lot of protesting that goes on. And uh, I think that protesting is a uh, effective way to make a statement. But unfortunately, regardless if it's black lives or anybody else, it turns into revelings because that is what the flesh does. Uh, you give the flesh an opportunity, the flesh will take it. So that's a manifestation of the flesh that's why we can't seem to have a protest without having problems um you know it's just a manifestation of the flesh and it says and such like uh of which i tell you before as i have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of god so it's pretty clear there you know very, very clear. Uh, that just means that there's no hope for these that enter into uh, this kind of activity. It says, if you practice this, if this is the practice of your life, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to address that really quick about the kingdom of God, because, you know, we, those of us who are saved, Today, in the church age, we seek a kingdom that's in heaven, the new Jerusalem. And it's not necessarily a kingdom as much as it is a place of peace and worship. But the nation Israel, they definitely are seeking a kingdom. All of their promises are land-based. Um, they're looking for the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and that will be a kingdom. Um, I think it's very clear that the writer here is alluding to the fact that you have no hope, right? Whether it be Jew, um, Old Testament saint who's looking for the land blessing, or be, or if it's the um, church age saint that's seeking the new Jerusalem, that you have no hope to enter into this type of uh, this blessing, this ultimate blessing that is uh, secured by God in Christ. So um, here we have the ungodly and the, the manifestations that they can produce. That's all that ungodly people can produce. And if you are a Christian and you are following that counsel, if you're found standing in the way with them, um, you are going to manifest these things as well, 
whether you want to or not, because we have an old nature and it quickly uh, adheres to these things. It wants to adhere to these things. It wants to do these things. It wants to sin. Um, the new nature uh, and God, the Holy Spirit is our only hope to keep us from falling into these things. The only difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is that we have God, the Holy Spirit to keep us from walking in this way. We have the Lord Jesus to guide us and to preserve us or else we would definitely uh, fall into these same types of uh, fleshly things. So praise the Lord for that. Thank God that he has given us his spirit to protect us and to keep us. Uh, praise the Lord for that. If you can't praise him for anything else, if you can't see anything else in your life that you think is worth praising the Lord, praise him for that. Praise him for keeping you and for placing you in a, a situation where you can listen to the word of God and you can be encouraged and you can be built up because that's what he's doing right now. If you're listening, that's what he's doing for you right now. And it's your greatest protection from uh, falling into the trap of, that the world has for us. So, so um, the it says that uh, it talks about prospering in things. Uh, you may look around and you may see people who are seem to be prospering. They seem to be doing much better than you are. That is a trap. Be very careful because people who are of the world like other people who are of the world. They congregate together. They encourage one another in the manifestation of these fleshly things. And if you happen to be amongst these individuals and you do not support, condone, partake in what they consider to be fun, then you are a wet blanket. <laughs> you will not be liked. You won't be popular. Um, and there's effects to that. Just to give you an example, back when the when the Lord Jesus first uh, ascended, you know, the church was brand new right after Pentecost. There was a lot of people in Jerusalem that became Christians after the day of Pentecost. Uh, thousands of people saw him uh, before he ascended uh, back to heaven. And of course, it caused this great stir. And there was, you know, the apostles were there and they were ministering to people. And there's this huge growth period in the church that started in Jerusalem. And those people were uh, treated very badly by their family and friends because they were like, what are you doing? You know, you are abandoning your family, your culture, uh, everything that we've known to be true. You're going over to this to worship this Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, no, we're, that's the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all the Sanhedrin, all the leaders, religious leaders that God spoke openly against when he was here, when the Lord Jesus called them out. Uh, they were they weren't having it. So these new saints in Jerusalem had a very, very hard time. A lot of them lost their businesses. They lost their homes. They were alienated uh, by their families. So, you know, 
all just because they were trusting God, because they believed the Lord Jesus and all the things that he said. And so there was a, um, Paul talked about, when he talked about giving, he talked about a offering that was made um, for other people. Um, and he mentioned Jerusalem and uh, the need that was there. So it was a, it was a tough time. And uh, that is probably the most accurate depiction of what it's like to be a believer. Now, does that mean that you have to experience all those things? No, not at all. And I don't think anyone will experience it, uh, all of those things to the extent that they did just because of the times that they lived in. You know, it was a great uh, emergence of uh, spiritual activity because of the Lord Jesus. He's, he was there. He ministered to them and wherever there's growth, whenever there's, whenever the Lord Jesus is being glorified and worshiped, that's where you find, um, trouble, you know, from the world, uh, the flesh and the devil, that's where you find the most activity. So if you're serving God and you're, you know, avoiding the things that of the world and you're ministering, you're publicly, um, glorifying God in your life and telling people about all the wonderful things that he's doing for you, you can expect to experience some, um, pushback, you know, but they're only momentary light afflictions. That's what the word says. Cause we're only here for a little while. We don't have a lot of time to do what we're doing now. There's a day coming where we'll be done with this life. Uh, that day may come by the rapture, which could come at any time. It could come while I'm doing this, which would be awesome. <laughs> or it could come, you may, um, you may actually, uh, your life may be ended somehow. You may be in an accident or uh, whatever. You may just die of natural causes, whatever it is. Um, then you immediately go to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus, immediately. According to the scripture, he stands there waiting for you to welcome you. So what a wonderful thing. And when we go into that existence, our eternal existence, everything is all wonderful. But the one thing that we don't have is an opportunity to glorify him the way that we can here with our lives. And I believe that the host of heaven is looking at us and watching us glorify him in amazement, you know, because we get to glorify him in a way that we won't be able to after that we're not here. So we have to embrace those things. It says that in whenever the apostles were uh, scourged and, you know, that means that they got beat, they were whipped with uh, cat of nine tails, which is a horrible device. Uh, it says that they praised God, that they sang songs and praised God, that they were worthy to share in his sufferings because they knew that this was just a momentary uh, time they were here. It's, it's, it's like a blinking of an eye. It's so short compared to eternity. And that they're being able to serve him in that way here. This is the only time that we'll ever be able to suffer on behalf of the Lord Jesus. And so. Um, 
I'm not encouraging you to go out and suffer, put yourself in a situation that will cause you suffering, but I'm encouraging you by saying that when you live a life that is godly, when you worship and praise and glorify God, you will experience hardship. But don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged that, hey, you're doing something that's pleasing the Lord and he's going to take care of you regardless. And you'll never have that opportunity to serve him that way again once we go home to be with him. So let's uh, embrace this opportunity for what it is and keep our eyes on him. So that was kind of a rabbit trail, but you can see the contrast that's being made by verse four when it says the ungodly are not so. And we saw the manifestation of the ungodly, like what, what kind of things that they do, what things result from them in their lives. We saw that in the in this these fleshly things. So um, now we're going to see from God's perspective who these people are. Now, we see these people differently because, you know, we live amongst them. They live amongst us. And we live in this world. But God is above all that. He sees the big picture. And that's what he's trying to show us. He's trying to bring us out of the world's perspective and giving us a view from heaven of how he sees things. So that's why he says the ungodly are not so. Um, and then he makes a comparison and it says in verse four, but are like chaff, which the wind driveth away. So. I'm sure that chaff is not something that you talk about daily. It's not something that's part of our daily vernacular. So I'm going to tell you what chaff is. So chaff is associated with um, bread. It's associated with wheat. And I have a um, relationship with bread that um, is probably not as healthy as it should be. <laughs> okay, I do love bread. So chaff... Uh, is the the covering around a wheat kernel so you grow the wheat you see these big stalks of wheat and there's kernels of wheat in there that they grind up to make flour and everything well the covering around that kernel or whatever is chaff and the way that they have to separate this chaff from the wheat is a very interesting process you know it's uh, i had to go do a little research and they do it on what's called a threshing floor so a threshing floor is um, where they take all the wheat, once they kind of chop it down and it's on the ground and they get this kind of broom kind of thing and they just start going crazy, you know, back and forth and tossing this uh, wheat in the air. And what happens is the chaff, the covering on the kernel is so lightweight that when the wind catches it, it blows it away and then the wheat falls down to the ground and then you have eventually a big pile of the good stuff, what you need. And all the stuff you don't want is floating away. So that's what chaff is. Chaff is the unwanted part of the wheat that is, you know, lightweight and it just flies away. It's nothing, basically. <laughs> and that's what he's saying that the ungodly are. They are nothings to him because they're manifesting fleshly things. That's the characteristic of their life. And that all amounts to nothing. 
You know, there's no eternal value to any of those things. There's only an associated value while they're here on earth, right? If you're committing adultery, that a that relationship is an earthly relationship that follows earthly rules and it's not going to go into eternity with you, right? The same thing for witchcraft and all the other uh, fleshly things, uh, the your anger, your strife, uh, envyings, none of that has any type of eternal value, but it's definitely things that are manifested from uh, the flesh. And so that's the picture that's being given here in this chaff is that those things have no value. They actually hurt you. You know, they're actually murdering hurts you. It hurts other people. Uh, we hurt one another out of strife. If you have strife with other people, that comes from the flesh and it's hurtful. You know, there's no way you can avoid that. And so that's the picture that's being given here uh, to say that the ungodly, um, they manifest these carnal fleshly things and they're just like the chaff that the wind drives away, uh, has no value whatsoever. Another interesting thing about using this picture or analogy of chaff, we saw the analogy in verse three of the tree and the fruit, and we can see the value of that, right? Uh, here in verse four, we see chaff, okay? Uh, the threshing floor is a often used as an image of judgment. You know, God talks about judgment and he associates uh, the judgment uh, that's to come or some type of judgment with uh, threshing and the chaff. So just to give you an idea of that, uh, an example of that, we're going to look at Daniel chapter two. So let's go over there real quick. Daniel chapter two. So here in Daniel chapter two, verse 35, basically Daniel is talking about this image and explaining to Nebuchadnezzar what the image means. And the each part of that image represents a Gentile dynasty uh, that's going to rule over the earth. And we got gold, you know, um, brass, silver, iron, and iron mixed with clay. All of those are pictures of different Gentile um, dynasties. And in verse 35, it says, um, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So here we see this prophecy of when the Lord Jesus is going to come. He's that stone that's going to come and is going to ba break, basically make every previous rule and nation to be nothing, to be like the chaff. It's, it's going to be as if they never existed, right? And that's the picture that I think is being seen here in Psalm 1, is that the ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. They are very much like these nations that have risen up 
Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the first nation, the nation of Babylon, and they're gone. Uh, Alexander the Great, you know, they, he was one of the ones that was mentioned in this prophecy and by name, and he's gone. His everything that he accomplished is in history books. You know, it's it's really it's gone. So um, there won't even be the historical record when the Lord Jesus comes to establish his kingdom. They'll be like the chaff. They'll be gone. And that's what that is the end or the future result of all the ungodly. Uh, that's what the Lord is telling us in this psalm is that all of those works of the flesh will lead you to nothing. You know, there's no benefit, no eternal benefit. It's only whatever benefit that you may get out of it while you're on this earth. And believe me, that's fleeting. That is nothing. You know, there's no fruit in that. So God is not impressed by man. You know, we get pretty impressed by, you know, certain individuals that we uh, read about or we see in the world today. We, we can get impressed by them, but God is not impressed because he doesn't look at us the way that we look at one another. And while this world can get pretty excited about the people uh, that, that are in it, you know, world leaders, God sees them as chaff, as nothing. And we need to be godly. The godly perspective is for us to see the need of people, to see them in a way from an eternal perspective. You know, uh, God really struck me with that, that, you know, I may I'm an, um, I, I may come across uh, a person that I meet or that I read about or I see and I see them in the context in which they're presented. Right. Whatever the context that is, maybe it's in a movie. Maybe it's in a book. Maybe it's some historical perspective. But God is impressing upon me. And I think all of us from here, this from this psalm is that we need to step back and see the people from his perspective and see their need from the context of uh, eternity and his will and godliness. And when we do that, I think it makes us to have a empathy and a desire to um, share the good things that we've experienced from God with them. You know, it encourages us to minister the gospel because we see them from the right perspective. And that's what this psalm is trying to tell us. Uh, apart from salvation, these individuals are going to be like chaff, you know, They'll be driven away. They'll be nothing. So in verse five, I think we see the logical conclusion to this. It starts off with therefore. Now, uh, my pastor, one of the pastors, really the only pastor I really acknowledge. Um, he used to tell me or he used to say it to everybody. When you see the word therefore, you should always stop and ask yourself, what is it there for? And which I have found to be very helpful. So uh, this, therefore, is a connecting term to say, OK, based on what I just told you, 
this is the only logical conclusion, right? Based on what the previous truth that I shared with you, this is the logical conclusion that the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Okay, that's what verse five says. So wait a minute, wait a minute. So we know who the ungodly are. We know what it means that they won't stand, right? That means that, you know, they, they're going to be nothing. So there's no way that they can stand. But then it says in the judgment. So what is this judgment? Wait a minute. I think it's, we need to take a look at that. So apparently from God's perspective, right? That's where we are. He's going to judge them. Now, we've already seen that everybody's going to be judged, right? I mentioned it uh, previously that believers, they have a judgment, a judgment seat of Christ is called the Bema, where we have to stand with him and view our lives to, and he's going to determine the worth of our life based on all that we've done for him, whether it be good or evil. And those things that are evil are going to be burnt up forever uh, in a bonfire and the things that come out of that fire that we did that were good for him on his behalf when we were walking in the light of his word and and being obedient and the things that walking by the spirit manifesting these fruit of the spirit those things are going to come out in the form of crowns or rewards so there's a judgment god is going to judge that is what he does he judges he judges there's nobody who gets past his judgment ever, not even those whom he has called to himself. But there's also a judgment for unsaved people. There's a judgment that they must um, uh, look forward to, if you can even say that, um, because it's not something that they should be looking forward to, but it's going to happen. It's sure. You know, it's a sure thing. And we can see what that is i think the best description of that is in revelations it's called the great white throne judgment right so god is consistent he doesn't treat um his righteousness and holiness means that he must judge sin regardless of whose sin it is right so we have the bema judgment for those who are saved and the great white throne judgment for those who are not so let's take a look at revelations chapter 20 and see what this judgment is and i think it's important for us to know these things because when we're ministering to people we need to accurately be able to warn them of the consequence of them continuing to um, walk in the flesh and to not acknowledge god and it's important that we're we know these things so that we can accurately paint the picture, not so much because uh, that's what saves people, because it's not the gospel uh, is what saves people through the grace of God. But it's important for people to know because we're accountable, right? We're accountable to be able to give them this accurate depiction and it's going to be brought back to their um recollection that ministry that you gave to them and when you told them whatever you told them whatever the lord led you to minister to them about that is actually going to be documented and 
God is going to point to that in their final judgment. So let's take a look at that in Revelations chapter 20. Let's turn there and see. All right, here in uh, Revelations chapter 20, starting in verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth, the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So that's a reference to something that was said earlier, and that establishes that this is the Lord Jesus, the glorified Jesus Christ. In verse 12, and I saw the dead. It says the small and the great. Well, that means that uh, people who were famous and people who were just a regular Joe, uh, they weren't famous. Small and the great. That's children. That's adults. Small and the great. Um, and they stood before God and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things which are written in the books according to their works. So the picture is, is there's books associated with the unsaved. Everything that they've done in their life is recorded, right? And all the ungodliness, regardless of what it is, to what level of sin it is, is recorded. And those books are open and it's clearly recorded what it is that they're being judged for. And it says... And another book was opened. This is a one special book, which is the book of life. And earlier in other parts of scripture, it's, it's called the Lamb's book of life. That's the book that has the names of all the people who have been redeemed, all the saved people throughout uh, the church age that have been saved. Uh, that's the book that has their names written in it. So as you can see, what we do in our interaction with these individuals who are unsaved who actually died in their sin and are now being judged in this great white throne judgment they are judged based on their interactions with us so it's very important that we are able to minister to them and to tell them hey this is what the consequences are if you don't believe god and these are the wonderful things that come to you from believing god those things are going to be very important in their final judgment. And verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and, and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So whenever people die that are unsaved, they go to kind of a, a holding place. It's called hell here. It's, a, it's not a final place. Hell is just a place to hold you until the fulfillment of all things. And when all things are fulfilled, then all these people come out of um, hell and the sea, wherever they died, wherever they body, their body died, they all come up out of there and they're rejoined with this um, eternal body that they're going to have and their soul and their body, this eternal body are rejoined together so that they can experience this final judgment. And so it says the dead uh, that it says and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works and their works are in these books. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, the second death. So this is the second death, um, the lake of fire. Now, lake of fire is different from hell. Hell it's dark. We know that it's darkness that you can feel. It's uh, fire, you know, heat. You're constantly burning. But it's the same for everybody who goes there, right? It's exactly the same experience. So the lake of fire is different in that 
it has heat determined or based on what's in the books. So you may have a guy that lived a pretty moral life, had kids, you know, put him through college um, and was seen as a pretty nice man. He just never was saved. Well, he's going to experience one type of judgment, whereas someone like Hitler, who was very popular, uh, well-known hater of the Jews and uh, just an evil person, uh, he's going to experience judgment that's commensurate with his actions. So God is um, just, he's a just God and he's faithful to do what's right. And so he's not going to give that other guy the same eternal judgment that he would give somebody like Hitler. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you're going to the lake of fire and that's horrible. So, but God is uh, a just God and he makes sure that the uh, ultimate judgment is equivalent or commensurate to the individual and their their deeds and in verse 15 it says and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire because obviously everybody that's in the lamb's book of life they were delivered so it's important for us to understand what it is being talking about here in the psalm when it says um in verse five therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment this is the judgment that is before them. This is the judgment that they have to look forward to. And it's pretty horrible. And it says, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the picture is definitely being painted that there's going to be an end or a fate for um, the saved and the unsaved. The unsaved are obviously going to go to hell in the lake of fire. The saved are going to be in a congregation of the righteous there's going to be a huge number of people that the god has said that god has saved that are going to be uh in heaven and after the beam of judgment after you know god has settled the accounts uh and distributed these rewards that uh, are to be distributed and clothed them in new raiment and uh made them to be complete in Christ. These people are going to stand together. All of us will stand together in worshiping the Lord Jesus in heaven. And there's going to be a congregation of the righteous. And there won't be any of these ungodly people there. You know, all of these people that are in this congregation are going to be those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No sinners will be in that congregation because um, the people that are there have been washed in the blood of the lamb, right? And all their sin has been dealt with even in their lives in the beam of judgment. And now there's only the congregation of the righteous. This is a wonderful hope. And it's something that's sure we have it. It's not like, well, that might happen. No, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's going to be pretty wonderful. And it's something that I look forward to. And it really does help me to keep the right perspective, the perspective that God has on viewing the world and the things in this world. And it makes me to not value those things. But what I do value is the Lord Jesus and pleasing him, because I know that there is an eternal value to serving him.
There's a value that goes beyond this life. And I get the joy of serving him now, as well as the rejoicing in heaven. So it's really important for us to understand what God's view of things are. It's easy for us to um, kind of get distracted by the world we live in. But that's why we need to be in the word of God. And here we see in verse six, the ultimate shot in the arm. If what I've told you to this point doesn't have you jumping up and down and rejoicing in your seat or wherever you're doing, then verse six should um, be the shot in the arm that you need. So here we see in verse six, um, it says, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So based on verse five and the facts in it, they're saying this is what's going to happen. There's not going to be any sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Well, why not? He says, because the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. The important, the interesting thing here is that the word knowest. So we know we're talking about the Lord. It says he knows. That word for what he knows is one of the uh, most versatile, um, broadly applied words that you have for the word knowest. It encapsulates so many different things in that he knows. <laughs> it's not like just one thing like, oh, I know that if I sit in my chair, it's going to hold me up. This word for know speaks of a complete knowledge, a full knowledge of all things. And it's being applied to us as individuals that he knows us this way. I'm just going to give you a few of the applications of this word. One is to ascertain. Another one is recognition, right? He recognizes us. Uh, and you can apply this to yourself. If you're saved and you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, these are the words in which he uses to describe how he sees you every day, every minute of the day. Um, uh, so he recognizes you uniquely. He observes you. It's a word that means to observe carefully. It says to care for someone. This is a there's a, an association of of concern and care associated with this to consider. Right. He considers everything that we do. He considers everything that we uh, do every day. Uh, it talks about this word also talks about a, dil a diligent discernment. So that means that we're being examined very closely, kind of like a scientist diligently discerns data to put together, okay, what does this actually mean? It's a very careful under a microscope type look, and that's how he sees us. It also has a connotation of friend, you know, someone who you have very friendly feelings for, uh, familiar, like family, right? Someone you know very well and you have these familiar feelings with or for. Uh, it also has a connotation of famous. Like you want to know who's famous. We're famous. Those of us who are saved are famous because we're being observed like this by the God of heaven. All of heaven is in amazement that God has placed so much concern and so much focus 
on people like us. But that's what he's done. That's why we're famous. We're famous in heaven. All the things that we do here, I believe, are famous in heaven. They know, they see, and they marvel at, at us and what we're doing here. It also has a connotation of being marked out, like to be set apart. And there's a mark placed on you to differentiate you from everyone else. Well, that's obviously God, the Holy Spirit. That's how we are different. That's how we're able to manifest these fruit of the spirit. And it also has a connotation to regard. You know, uh, there's a psalm that says, what is man, God, that you even pay attention to us? But he does. He regards us. We're very important to him. So, you know, this should be a great joy and a comfort to us that God, the God of creation, cares this much about us and everything that we do, that we're famous, we're a friend of his, that he has marked us out, um, that he knows what we're doing, uh, and he is concerned about the things that we do. And that's why we need to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, because that's what we want to be found doing at all times. So how do we show our appreciation for this, what is, what should be our response to God placing this much care and concern about us? Well, we should have at least that much care and concern about Him. You know, that should be the characteristic of our lives. People should see that in us and what we do and what we don't do, what we talk about. What we say, if we knew someone that was famous, right, and we went around and we would tell people, hey, you know, I know such and such personally. Really? Well, we know the God of the universe, the creator of the universe personally. And he has a, he cares for us. He diligently watches over us. We can call him friend and family. Well, that's something we should be sharing with people. We should be telling them about that. You know, that's the natural response to this kind of love and concern. Uh, at the very least, we should be offering the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving uh, that he cares for us and we should serve him in a way that's pleasing. Um, but here we see another contrast in verse six to that. Now we, we were taking like real high, you know, we're like, Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. And I'm praising God for, you know, all this, that he cares for me like that. And then we see a stark contrast in verse six, right after this being taken way high. It says, but the way of the, the ungodly in contrast shall perish. Wow. What a huge contrast to him observing and caring for us, considering us. But the ungodly to him, they're nothing. And they shall perish. Uh, this word that means perish speaks of an utter, it says an uh, utter void or to have no hope, an utter separation. And that's what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. When you're thrown into the lake of fire, that is complete and total separation from God. There is no hope that that would ever change. For eternity, you'll suffer this separation. And that's horrible. That's a horrible thing. And we should, you know, it should cause in us to want to praise God for first for delivering us from such a fate, but also to minister to others and to warn them 
and let them know, hey, this is what's going to happen. And we, uh, the uh, God of the universe has provided his son to deliver people from that fate. You know, that is what we need to be ministering to people about that the father raised up the Lord Jesus when he died on the cross, that the father raised him up as proof and evidence uh, that in Christ is full redemption. You know, we should be telling them that, hey, you need to cry out to him to save you. That's the only prayer that you need to be praying because otherwise he considers you as a nothing. So, you know, you're like that blind man when Jesus is walking by and, you know, he's blind, but he hears all the noise about Jesus and he calls out because it's like, hey, he's my only hope. Uh, I can't see him. I don't know if he's there, but I hear all the noise. Well, we are the ones, the gospel, we bring the gospel and we bring that noise to them. They should see in our lives something of that noise. And we should direct them, hey, call out to him, cry out to him for mercy because he has it. There's no difference between unsaved people uh, who don't know the Lord Jesus and save people who know the Lord Jesus. They're the same, essentially. The only difference is God has given us or placed his mercy upon us, his love and his grace. And there's no reason why, as long as they're living and breathing, we shouldn't assume that he'll do the same thing for them. You know, that should be our desire uh, so that they can avoid this fate that is sure to come. That's listed here in Psalm six. It says the ungodly shall perish. And that's a very sad thing. So we need to be ministering the gospel. We need to be telling them about the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. It's that simple. Just tell them, tell people what Jesus has done for you. Just do that. That's a, the best place to start. And he'll lead you and train you on how to um, minister on his behalf. He He'll be pleased with that. And that's what we need to be doing is pleasing him with our lives. So what a great Psalm, Psalm one is. Uh, I don't think that I've done a very good job of really bringing out all the good things that are in the Psalm. I hope that this will be a help to you as you study it on your own, that uh, maybe through this study you would have seen some things that you didn't before. I know that I have. And I pray that the Lord would make this psalm to be a great blessing to you and that he's been glorified in this study. Uh, let's close. Father, thank you for the psalms. Uh, they're so full of wisdom and uh, the way that you've presented yourself to us in the Psalms, it's just a real blessing. It's been a blessing to many people, as you know, and certainly a blessing to me. And I pray, Father, that our study will glorify you, that it will build up your people, that it would you'd use this study to call out to those whom you have chosen in eternity's past to, to know you, 
and that uh, we would all together serve you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.